Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Good to be back doing the show after an exciting week in Washington, D.C. for the City Open. It ends with Yannick Sinner's arms raised in the biggest title of the 19-year-old Italian's career. And uh, to talk about it, I brought on someone who has been on site all week, Alex Gruskin, Cracked Rackets, uh, one of my favorite guests to have on the show, one of the more frequent ones as well. And uh, we cover a great deal of things from, obviously, Sinner, the finalist, Mackie McDonald, Jensen Brooksby, American who made uh, an incredible run and is on an amazing run of form in 2021, and Rafael Nadal, who entered the tournament, made his debut, uh, playing it for the first time, and ran into trouble, escaped it against Jack Sock in his first match, but then was ousted by South African Lloyd Harris in his second match. So uh, we really get into everything there, and I'm able to um, also, there's plenty of space for me to get my opinions in. So for the sake of not being redundant, I'm not going to monologue too long here to start. Then we'll go to uh, the Alex Gruskin chat, and then a preview of the National Bank Open, where uh, the men are in Toronto um, this year. And of course, I'll go quarter by quarter. As always, this video is brought to you by Rally Tennis. Rally Tennis is a new mobile app that makes it easy to find a place to play tennis in your area, both competitively or just to train. Creating an account is free as well. Just head over to rallytennis.com or search Rally Tennis in the App Store. And if you sign up and use me as the referrer, you'll get $10 towards your account. I'm really, once again, blown away by Yannick Sinner after this week. And he is someone who I've been high on from the start. And I know some criticism has crept in maybe about his game and being one-dimensional or something. But, I, I mean, all the weaknesses that he has are improving so quickly. And that's kind of the common theme, I feel like, for his game. And, and why I've remained so bullish on Yannick Sinner is that he is improving at such a fast rate. And it's the one thing that I look towards when a young player is just trajectory and rate of improvement. And if you look at his career arc, the story of his career, it's written all over it. January 2018, he's 16 years old. He's unranked. October 2019, he's in the top 100. So that's a year later from unranked to the top 100, a little bit more than a year. And then in December of 2020, he finishes the year ranked number 37 as he transitions from the Challenger Tour to the ATP. And now he's in the top 20. April 2021, he's just won a 500. He's the youngest player ever to win a 500 event since they've introduced ATP 500s in 2009. He's the youngest Italian to reach the top 20. Um, and he is now number 15 in the world. 
this is a meteoric rise. This does not normally happen so quickly. But below the surface, anyone can look at that and it's just stats and it's just numbers and okay, he's getting better fast. But it's weeks like these where you see why. Because he is constantly working on himself. He is a student of the game. He is so dedicated and committed to tinkering and making adjustments and improving. It reminds me of the big three. It does. I don't want to put that expectation on him. I don't want to say that he's supposed to be that good or accomplish what, what they've done. And I'm not trying to say that, but the way he improves and how well he trains reminds me of the big three. Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic came in with poor serves. Their serves weren't good enough, and they got better and better and better and better throughout their career. And Roger Federer figured out things on the backhand and figured out things with in the midcourt game with the shot selection and the drop shot. And, you know, they they never stopped working and improving. You know, Nadal does not resemble the Rafa Nadal of the mid-2000s, does not resemble the Nadal of 2017 onward. It's just a different player. And Novak Djokovic, um, you know, a, a lot of the same things are true. So um, that is, I believe, the reason why the big three have stayed on top of the game and they have conquered generation after generation without really giving up much ground. Anyway, so Yannick Sinner, he shows me these attributes. And in the last month or so, he made a big decision. He decided that he wasn't going to go to the Tokyo Olympics. And after Wimbledon, he was going to take some time. Wasn't going to play. And Sinner said, I got to work on my serve. I got to work on my game. And completely changed in the middle of a season, changed his service technique. After losing in the first round to Martin Fucevic, first round Queens Club, Jack Draper, not was not good on the grass, looked completely overmatched, didn't have a serve. And I said going into Wimbledon, it's going to be very hard to do well at Wimbledon without a first serve uh, because you're going to run into others who are getting those cheap points and those free points on a regular basis. And if you're not getting those, well, you're fighting an uphill battle. You're at a disadvantage. And... That's the battle Sinner was fighting. And clearly he said, you know, I'm kind of tired of this and I want to try to change something. So he completely changed his footwork on his serve. Went from a pinpoint serve where he dragged his right foot up and brought it to the left foot to a platform stance where his left foot and his right foot are apart like a Roger Federer. And maybe I'll break down this, the technique in more depth. And I'll break down the numbers in more depth. But I can tell you this. This week was the biggest I've ever seen Yannick server, Sinner serve. It's the biggest I've ever seen him serve. It's the best I've ever seen him serve. Even the kick serve on the second. Even the second serve was better than I've seen. Game changer. And that was, in my opinion, the biggest weakness is his first serve was not very effective at all. If you look at the... Last 52 weeks, first serve points, one percentage. Yannick Sinner is 74th on tour. 74th with a 69.3 win percentage behind his first serve. 69.3. Well, 
in Washington, let me read off the numbers. 81% against Rusevori. 85% against Korda. 72% his lowest mark against Johnson. 93% against Jensen Brooksby, where he had an ace percentage of nearly 14%, an ace rate. Then 83.3 percentage, sorry, 83.3% against uh, Jensen Brooksby. Sorry, it was 93 against Steve Johnson. I don't know if I messed that up. Uh, every single match he played, he was better than his 69% mark. And uh, in most of the matches he played, he was way better than that. And the eye test would just confirm, even in the clutch, uh, his serve was coming up huge. Third set, big service game. The the one time he faced a, uh, a break point midway through the third set before being broken uh, serving for the match, as as I'll get to a little bit uh, later. Sinner was in a hole, made three straight first serves, hit two plus one backhands that ended the point, and had a service winner in between. These are the kinds of things that just, they were not in his game. And he decides to not go to the Olympics, get to the practice court, change his technique in the middle of the season. It's kind of unheard of. It's a little bit unheard of. You normally do that in the offseason, maybe. But to uh, to have the maturity to make that decision, even if it was his team, even if it was Piatti, to have that maturity to execute that or to be on board with that is incredible to me. His movement is so much better. He is winning so many more points from a scrambling and defensive position. Won a lot of key points in the first set when he got the break uh, with McDonald putting him on the stretch and approaching the net and center coming up with some massive passing shots in this match. He won so many points from difficult positions. That wasn't in his game. How solid he is on the run when he's pushed to the corners. Uh, point of the match, really, with uh, McDonald serving at 4-5. Add in, um, if you go to my Twitter feed, at Gil underscore Gross, uh, I posted the video at that point. It's a point that he just he can't he can't win that point earlier in his career. He doesn't have that where he's scrambling, he's on the dead run, he has to use every ounce of his speed and he digs it out. It's a big difference between the first set and the third set and the second set. In the second set, he just wasn't doing a lot of digging with his legs and he was not putting balls in the court when uh, when he had to play a little defense. And it was just, I think, uh, a lot just fatigue and getting a little bit comfortable. He got a bit comfortable in this match. And in the second set, he was not using his legs as much and he was not as focused. But um, it's understandable. I think fatigue and just getting that lead, the, the motivation and the intensity dipped a little bit in this match. But all in all, I was very impressed with his movement this week. Very stable. Very stable into the corners. And then lastly, I thought his net game was a lot better. And he used it a ton against Brooksby. And he knew he had to because Brooksby is so good when he gets his racket on the ball. The ball is not only going to find its way back in the court, but he's going to have decent depth on it. His defense is so good, Brooksby, that you have to find ways to finish and you have to sneak in on Jensen Brooksby or he's going to extend the rallies and really bother you. And... Center was moving forward more against Brooksby than I've seen in a long time. And his volleys, as Gruskin points out when we talk, his volleys are, are way improved. And honestly, that's the big three. When when Sinner first came on to tour, 
I said there are three things he needs to do better. First of all, if you make him defend, you're going to win against him because his legs aren't strong enough. That's the first thing I ever said when I saw Sinner. And I loved him on the front foot. I loved his offense. But if you make him run, you're going to win some points because his legs aren't strong enough yet. I no longer really think that's true. I think Sinner can run. I don't know if he can do it for a real extended period of time. I think you can still get to his legs. But when the intensity is up and if he has to do it in short spurts, he can run. And he's very stable in the corners now when he has to defend. Uh, in terms of his base and the strength in his legs. Uh, then the the second thing was uh, was his serve and his first serve, and it just needs to be bigger. And it'll it needs to continue to improve. But the fact that it looked so much better this week, now maybe this is an overreaction. Sometimes we see players have a big week when it comes to their first serve. Uh, Alex Dimonor in Atlanta uh, in 2019 or something like that, where the service numbers are just way better. But the fact that he changed his technique and the serve was better, and that just happened to happen in the same week, I mean, you know, that's where you start to question whether or not it's a coincidence. Um, and then the fact that his net game continues to improve, that's going to be the added layer to his offense that he's going to need. And this is why I'm positive he's going to be great. This is why I know he's going to be great because he doesn't stop getting better. And I've been critical about Alexander Zverev and Felix Ojealiasim, who have had double faulting issues and have had inconsistency problems with their serve. And the serve just continues to look the same. The serve does not change. I think Felix has made some slight tweaks, but uh, it took a while for that to happen. And just in general, those are two guys incredibly talented, unbelievable skill set, and just so gifted with incredible weapons that are going to take them so far in this sport. And they're going to have and have already had incredibly successful careers. But I have not seen them improve nearly as fast as Yannick Sinner has improved to make that comparison. And, you know, this is the future of the sport. And I just think Sinner's getting better a lot faster than, than, than anyone. This is what I've seen. This is why I am so incredibly high on him. And this week was massive strides, in my opinion, where he shows me in the, in the best way he could possibly show me that he is filling and working on his weaknesses. Now, the strengths, his power, generational. I've covered it before. What about his composure? Because in back-to-back -back matches, back-to-back -back matches, he has turned really bad situations where really bad things have happened to him in the set, and he still won the set. This is what you need to do. Against McDonald in this, uh, in this first set, he loses six set points on serve. Gets broken. And then in the very next game, loses five more set points. But never really shows frustration. Never completely loses his composure and breaks serve for the set on the 11th set point. In the semifinal against Brooksby, he was playing better tennis for, for most of the set, I think, and suddenly was down triple set point on his serve, love 40. Never flinched, save all saved all three set points, and won the tiebreak 7-2. Um, bad things 
happening, or I'm sorry, he saved, he saved three set points. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. Um, bad things happened in those opening sets twice in a row, and Sinner didn't flinch. That's the mentality. That's the composure. Um, and then I also, I just want to end with this: him, him winning this, and why this is big for his career moving forward. Him winning this is big for his career moving forward because the last time Sinner was a favorite in the final, he did not play well. He was not good in Miami when he played Hubert Hurkacz. Clearly had the same issues that he had in this final against McDonald when he was not at his best and he made way too many unforced errors. Um, he had the same issues, but he, he won this time. That's huge. Because next time, it's likely he's not going to be so nervous. And I understand it is not easy to be 19 years old and the favorite in a final. It just can't be easy to, to, to deal with that. And last time, he, had str he struggled to deal with it, and he lost. This time, he struggled to deal with it again, and he won. So that is the, the logical progression, is that he's not going to have as, as difficult time next time he's in a final. And he's going to have the confidence of knowing that he, he's come through this already, and, and he's, he's won a 500. Um, so really big. He'll build on it. And uh, I am just extremely encouraged by what I've seen from Yannick Center. So remember, uh, National Bank Open Preview coming up on the other side of this chat with Alex Gruskin of Crack Rackets. We're joined once again by Alex Gruskin, who joins us from Rock Creek Tennis Park in Washington, D.C. He's done a tremendous job covering the tournament all week for Cracked Rackets at Great Shop Pod, Mini Break Pod. Uh, cracked interviews. That's true. Three yep. for three. As, as always, we go three, three, three here on <laughs> our shows. If we can't talk about the big three, we're going to have three shows. But always a pleasure to join you. I guess I have to be on site in an event now to get the call up, but I'll take it, man. You know, again, you set the standards. I'll chase. Uh, that Not the case. Not the case. But <laughs> we will take it that you're on site. Um, 20 minutes ago, Yannick Sinner, I think about 20 minutes, Yannick Sinner wins match point against Mackie McDonald. And uh, takes the biggest title of his career, the first 19-year-old to win an ATP 500 tournament since the uh, level began in 2009. I'm not someone who just comes on and is always like, whoever won the title, I'm just like raving about and, you know, just over the moon uh, complimentary of. But I'm pretty... I'm pretty positive on Yannick Sinner right now. I'm feeling pretty great about the improvements he's making in his game. That's me. Yeah. You? No, I, we're drinking the Sin Man Kool-Aid. There's no doubt about that. He was phenomenal all week long. And you just look at every match he played from start to finish here this week, whether it was, you know, going back too early in the event he had. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, when he was pushed. I guess the only time he was pushed was again. Corda in round number two when he had a 5-2-2 break deficit in that round of I believe 16 match because you know I called it the Spider-Man mean match him and Emil Rusevori that first round opponent very similar games a lot of power from the baseline Sinner's just better at it than Roos was he then beats his doubles partner in Corda his demolition of Stevie Johnson was the match of the week that stood out most to me in his run because, you know, the Steve Johnson, when you're playing him, the game plan's clear, right? Serve big to the backhand, overwhelm that side with pace. And Stevie knows it's coming. 
and as such, he's usually able to prepare. It didn't matter what he tried. Sinner just overwhelmed him. It was like, nope, I am good enough at the skill that beats you to crush you. And he crushed him. And just like, you know, today, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the final here momentarily. It was not his best performance. Boy, was he bad on the big points. But the stat I keep turning to, the low-hanging fruit for Yannick Sinner, he's 41st right now amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. Everything else in his game is outstanding. The serve has been the thing that's, I don't want to say held him back because he's 15 in the world at age 19. But it it's has. The thing, it has. Yeah, I it, agree. It's the thing if, that's if you like, said that, I'd agree. It, well, it's like if he's going to become the Grand Slam champion, best version of himself, the serve has to get better. And every player's serve gets better from the time they're 19 till they're 30. So, like, yeah, drink the cool. What's the weakness, Gail? What's the weakness? He's uh, those weaknesses. Redhead. He's a redhead. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's a, it. There it is. <laughs> he's he's filling them up. He's clogging up every hole in his game. And we talk about the meteoric rise that he's had in in the rankings and the fact that he was more focused on skiing than tennis when he was 13 <laughs> years old. And that's really late. Um, it's it's the rate of improvement is the thing that really jumps out to me. More on the serve. You've had good stats all week. Um, where and I know, think it's 41st in first serve win percentage, not hold percentage. I think he's 33rd in hold that's right. Percentage. I, I have your tweet up. Yep, 33rd uh, in hold percentage. Nothing I like more than hearing myself quote. Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, how about this? He decides not to play the Olympics and he takes this time to, to change his service technique, uh, going from the, the pinpoint kind of drag the right foot up to the left foot up on the baseline to the platform serve. And it just looks like a more powerful motion. And then it's the, the results were, were there this week. It was, whoa, the, the pop, the pop is just more than we've seen. No, I think, again, what was so surprising to me when I looked at the statistics is despite all of the struggles, he was still 15th in percentage of second serve points one. And you're kind of scratching your head there. How can someone be 33rd in hold percentage and yet have, you know, 15th most effective on their second serve points? And I think that speaks to the fact when he gets a look at a plus one ball, he's going to take advantage of it. That top speed plan A for Yannick Sinner so so far advanced and so uh, it's progressed so well even over the last 52 weeks you look for him he's made four finals in his career all of them have come since november and by the way you know i love lists here's the list of players who have made multiple atp finals and were born after the year 2000 korda's made two nakashima's made two sinners made four felix ogier seems made eight doesn't that list make sense to you, Gil? Like that's sure. a list of four names where I'm like, that makes sense moving forward. And I think for the Sin Man, again, what's the difference between him and an FAA who has the eight finals but no titles? This is not only the improvement in serve, but for me, it's the finishing at the net, Gil. Yannick, you know, people don't talk enough about Yannick Sinner as a volleyer. Yannick Sinner's a good volleyer. It's not like a, oh, he will be good. No, already he knows what to do and where to be. And then he executes the first volley well as well. So I think, again, with the serve, I mean, what did you think of his effectiveness? Because I'm a little worried that sometimes it's just a one speed thing, much like FAA. I think there are some parallels yeah. where that speed is super, super fast, but it's a little one dimensional. Do you have that concern with him at all? Yes, I, I think he can overpress and make bouts of errors. He can play a really bad match. He played a really bad match against Hubie Hercotch in his last big final in Miami. And he didn't ask Hercotch to do that much to win that final. Um, but I think 
the rapidly improving volleys, the winning some cheap points on the first serve, these things that we started to see this week a lot more in D.C., it's going to help that. And you know what? It's hard to be 19 years old and the favorite in a final. And what did Yannick Sinner struggle with today? Uh, The pressure. I think that's what he struggled with today. 11 set points was it in the first set that he blew the fur or excuse me 10 he blew and then he converted yeah. on the 11th now this is where you got to give some credit to Mackie McDonald and I saw your tweet as well I'll quote you you're right in terms of ball striking boy I don't know if you're going to find I mean certainly you may find some equal I don't know if you're going to find anyone better than Mackie McDonald on the ATP tour the way he leverages his quickness to take that ball inside the baseline early and on the rise and just the way he catches that ball so beautifully I tweeted it out you commented the on the run forehand and I don't say this lightly <laughs> Del Poesque like I just I don't get how that on the run forehand drops and the reason I bring this up is he did put some pressure on Yannick on the yeah. big points but there were a couple second serve returns. There was just, you know, the really poor service game up five, three in the third, where just missed a couple of first balls and made some easy errors. But is it a mental thing? I don't think it's a mental thing. I think it's a one speed thing. I think it all comes back to this. It's Yannick's game plan is hit, 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 hit. And today against Mackie, I thought just beat him by hitting through the center. Like he just straight up powered him. But in crunch time moments, it's nice to have a second speed to turn to. And I, I do think like, again, it's, if we're talking about, oh, his second speed's not good enough, things are probably trending well for Yannick. But that was my concern today is there was no second gear for him to turn to when clearly things weren't working on break points. Right. And Mackey had that because Mackey would hunker down a little bit, I think, in the yep. big points. I think, you know, he, he's so good at taking the ball early and that's what he does. He does it so well. But I actually feel like he backed up sometimes yes. in the bigger moments and just let Yannick miss. Uh, so, yeah, I, I noticed that as well. Um, it, it's just great to see a guy who was clearly on this upwards trajectory was in the top 60 in the world, tore his hamstring. And it's just good to see him get back to where he left off. Uh, In terms of like the forehand, it's a high risk shot. It's flat the way now, you know, a, a part of me wanted to say the technique looks like Del Potro. And then, you know, the take back is so different that I, I don't really, I can't stand by that. The way he comes through the ball, you know, just how flat he hits it, that is the Del Potro in it. And, um, you know, it's just, it's high risk. And I think at times, like the game that Sinner broke ultimately in the first set to win the first set, it it was a a gift of a game. Um, But for the most part, he's doing so many things at such a high level. I love the return here. And th- what I want to ask you is, is what do you think his ceiling is? Because I think, but I think Mackey should be in the top 30 for a very long time uh, in the prime of his career. No, he's 30th now in the race in terms of points accumulated in 2021. And I know like who cares about that in the big picture, but speaks to his level this season. Yeah. And he's a guy who, you know, the quietest fourth round in Australia, none of us remember it, but he did make a round of 16 in Australia earlier this season. He's won a challenger this season as well. He made the decision to go head over to Europe and play the clay courts at both the ATP and challenger level, knowing that that's the surface he's least comfortable on. And he's spoken why he made that decision in the press conference. 
conferences. You can hear some of those answers on the Cracked Interviews podcast and spoken about, look, if I want to be a professional, that's a trip I have to make every year. It doesn't matter if I'm uncomfortable. I have to do it. I have to prove myself against the best. And I think, you know, we made a semifinal on clay at the challenge level. I think that was enough. That was what he was looking for, just that little extra bit to then go to Wimbledon, qualify there, and make a semifinal and a grass challenger as well. And now we're back on his best surface. Good the match against – sorry to cut you off. No, good match against Hatchinov at Wimbledon. Very good. And then we saw what Hatchinov has done since then, mm-hmm. and, and Mackey really pushed him. So I, I think anyone who's watched that match carefully – I even think we talked about it – uh, could kind of see this coming that, okay, Mackie's playing good tennis right now. And then we First saw of all, you never have to apologize for cutting me off. You know, it's, it's usually one way traffic in terms <laughs> of the cutoffs between the two of us. So don't worry about it. But the, to get back to your Delpo point, I didn't mean to lose that thread. There's a, the way they get their momentum moving forward on the shot, even when they're on the run and just watching all of these professionals, how they, are always on their front foot. Like that is the difference between a professional and a college player and a club player and all of the above is they are always keeping their front foot forward, always getting their entire momentum behind the shot. He may only be 5'11", a buck 60 soaking wet, but he gets every pound, every inch of his body does Mackie McDonald behind each of his ground strokes. And, you know, the backhand so compact, the forehand, it it works. Like the contact point, beautiful his ability to move forward he is a top 20 athlete in terms of his quickness his movement on a hard court the serve is the question and he has spoken openly about that question here as well and you mentioned he's into the top 70 for the first time since he was hamstringless in 2019 you know it's, it's been funny listening to him he goes look I think I can break anyone's serve the question for me is when I'm serving well that's when I have a result like I did this week. There is no doubt. You look at his numbers. He won about 80% of his first serve points this week. That's abnormal for Mackie McDonald, who's traditionally been around the high 60s range at the ATP tour level. If he can even get that number to 70, 75, with how many returns he puts in play, with how good he is on grass courts, how proficient he is on hard courts, like he, all it would take is two wins during the clay court season for him to sustain a top 50 ranking for the, the next five years until, you know, he's 30, 31, 32 years old. I think that's the goal for him. Top 50 through your 30s. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I mean, he's he's going to be a David Gaffan, a Kay Nishikori. He hopes to get to that height when it, you know, yeah. when it comes to those. those I think players. that's the max ceiling for your, for the record. I agree with you. That would be like the, the best version of him is like a really good David Gaffan performance. I agree with you. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I guess just off the top of my head, the, the thing that separates those two from Mackie is just how, how easy the offense comes from the backhand side, uh, where, whereas Mackie, he's got a really good backhand, but when it comes to taking the ball, like down the line and playing more aggressively, it's a forehand. Uh, I think it's touch. just a little harder for him to generate pace on that backhand wing more that like, I yeah. think when sit like today, center was a great matchup. So was Nishikori in the semis because they're providing the top spin and all he's got to do is bunt down on that ball. I agree with you generating his own top spin, keeping that ball down against perhaps more of a grinder. That's where it gets a little tougher for him on that wing. Yep. All right. Uh, Jensen Brooksby makes the semifinal here. He has done nothing but win in in 2021 challenger record i want to say 21 and 2 you probably correct me if i'm wrong got it i got a head nod yeah bravo bravo Let's my go. friend well um, done. Kid, do you know where the two losses were here's the question <laughs> no 
South African no. Lexington. Carry on. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Newport obviously makes the final there, and now he's in the semifinal city open. I mean, he's just taken everyone by storm. And the funny part about Jensen Brooksby is he's got the kind of game that people look at and they say, I don't understand why he's winning. I don't get it. What what makes him good? What makes him come through these matches? So that's my my question for you. Well, I'm really mad at myself because it was a third loss and I didn't look it up, but Bjorn for Tangela, I forgot he lost that match in Cleveland. So that's the third one. So just for the record, because I am on the Jensen Brooksby beat, as you know, that is something yeah. I consider myself a student of Jensen Brooksby. And I've been really fortunate to have the chance to chat with him repeatedly and talk, talk with his coaches as well. And I'm, I think I can attribute this now directly to his uh, coach because Jensen did as much in the post-match presser as well. He's death by high percentage tennis. That is the catchphrase that will describe Jensen Brooksby throughout the course of his career. His stats reflect as much. Go look at his match log. Is that a thing? Do we call it the match log when you go like the, the list of matches on your tennis abstract? Is that called a match log? I, I would go with the word results. Yeah. Okay. I, you're the one who went to journalism school, so I'll take your word for it. But um, no, when you look at his results, you're going to see so many stat lines, the way LeBron puts up like 27, nine and nine, and you're just like, Oh, nine and eight. Like that's just his thing. Jensen Brooksby's serving splits are always going to be, he makes 70% of his first serves. He wins about 65% of his first serve points. He wins about 55% of his second serve points. That's just what it has been early in his career because he's making that first serve and he's hitting the target. Very little difference between those two serves. And then his ability to move the ball around the court. You're right. He doesn't have a natural pace generated by himself weapon, but the harder you hit the ball at him, the harder it's coming back at you. I mean, he broke down FAA easily in their match. They He dropped, you know, the only two sets he dropped this week were the two he lost to Yannick Sinner. And you mentioned this as well on Twitter. I think we both saw this. How about those adjustments from Brooksby in set one against Sinner? He played aggressive baseline tennis. I think that was his most impressive match of the week because I had never seen that gear in him before. And then it's just, you know, advanced metrics. He's a top 40 ELO rating guy. Race to Shenzhen. He's accumulated top 50 amounts of points this year. The numbers say it. The I say it. I think he's a top 75, top 50 guy already. Like, it's it's just such a tough out, at least on a hard court, I should say. Yes, and, and if you're if you're hearing that and you're thinking, well, where was this guy last year? He was injured. Yeah. And that's why that's why he couldn't really make a name for himself. And it, it feels like the world has been slapped in the face by Jensen Brooksby. That would be why, because he just didn't have that really that transition phase of that, well, that could have been 2020. If I may, because again, major in the Brooksby beat. 2018 USC Boys 18s National Champion. So that's a wild card into the US Open at age 17. He then elects not to defend his Kalamazoo title because he made a wager in 2019 that I can get into qualifies at the US Open, qualify on my own, and win a match anyways without having to deal with the pressure of being the defending 18s champ. Guess what, Gil? That decision paid off. He yep. beats Burdich at that US Open. And then for him to make the decision to go to Baylor, that was an interesting one. And I'm sure that's the blip in the radar. And I'm not saying that was a bad decision, but like, that's why we didn't see him at all in 2020 because going to Baylor plus wanting to maintain his protected ranking, nothing was starting till 2021. But I don't think it's fair to say he came from nowhere because if you're the nerd like me, who is watching a boys 18s junior national championship, you saw it. Okay. Uh, fair, okay. fair. 
I think to, to a lot of the audience, he, I think True. would agree with me, but, but yes, nerd. I, I, nerd. I did say it's a nerd alert, major yes. nerd alert. No, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you pointing it out. Um, the, the first thing you talked about when I asked you the question of why does he win is talking about high percentage. And he's one oh, of the that guys. Was the question? I, I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> he's Sorry, one of those guys who makes you remember that even at the highest levels, tennis can be a game of mistakes and just limiting those mistakes can be a superpower, especially if you keep the ball deep in the court, because anyone can not miss and hit the ball inside the service box. And that doesn't get you anywhere either. Uh, but Brooksby, he's an IQ guy. He's a tough guy. He, he hangs in there. You mentioned the, the game plan change against Sinner. Like that's a dude who thinks the game and, and comes in with the plan. All of this being said, I'm going to make a video. I haven't made it yet about why Jensen Brooksby is like Andy Murray. You are a diehard Andy Murray guy. So I'm not, again, it's going to be a separate video, but I want to hear if you agree with that. Well, you brought me onto a show to talk next gen 2.0, a guy who was an NCAA singles champion, American tennis, and now <laughs> Andy Murray, you really do love me. Like I, 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 I love you too, Gil. I appreciate that. Um, that's a really good comparison. And obviously Murray sent the tweet out about him this week, praising his game, praising his IQ. For me, it's the backhand. The backhand's a weapon for Jensen. Like I think his ability to generate pace down the line and he is the worst, uh, or sorry, he is the best bad volleyer I have ever seen. <laughs> like we are all taught since we were eight years old. Don't do that with your hands on the backhand volley. Don't pull the elbow up above your shoulder when you're trying to hit it because the momentum is just not how you're supposed to do it. And yet his hands are so good that he manages to pull it off. Like what do I, it, he's, it's oxymoronical how polished his game is. I know I'm, I tweeted this out earlier, how polished his game is. And yet it just feels like he can still get so much better. I am, I am fascinated by it. I also think like, what do you think? What does he have a weapon? What would you describe as a weapon? Because I think when people say it's his competitiveness, like, I think that's rude. Like, I do think he has a weapon and I think it's his hands. Okay. I don't think it's his hands, but I'm also kind of offended that when, when people call him weaponless, because yeah. uh, I like to think of fitness as a weapon. Um, yes. I like to think of consistency as, as a weapon. Um, and I think people mistake going back to, I mean, this is a language thing, but I think people mistake the word firepower or maybe just power straight up with weaponry because yes. there are many weapons in tennis and he's got depth and consistency and fitness and, and toughness and a great backhand and the ability to change direction, just move the ball around the court and, and keep his opponents running. And those are weapons. Mm -hmm. No, this is really stupid. And I apologize. It's a first on MMA. There is a ping pong table here right outside the media center uh, for uh, the city open. And I've been working fellow media members in ping pong only when the matches are done. But anytime we're playing midway through a rally, I'll go Brooksby and I'll hit a little backhand slice like uh, while we're playing the ping pong rallies and like it always gets a laugh because you see his drop shot and it's like the, I know Florian Mayer's the obvious take here. That's why I showed the ping pong table just to set up this Florian Mayer thing. But like, it is that entertaining, right? Like it, it really, it, it's the drop, the spontaneous drop shot, five all 30, 40 first set center. He hits a drop shot winner to fight off a break point. Like I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's for me, it's the best watch in tennis right now because I still don't completely understand what's happening. And that to me is fascinating. 
and and Murray, a drop shot guy, just yeah. To add on to <laughs> oh, and to make the compare, I mean, you're right. It's just they're not. They never beat themselves, right? Like if you were right. to say high percentage tennis, Andy Murray is one of the first people you would think of. So I think it's a very good comp, Murray-ish. Okay. Uh, okay, let's end on on Rafael Nadal, who started the week as the headline, and I'm sure you imagined like if you were going to talk to me on Sunday that we were going to be talking about Rafael Nadal in the final is probably what play, that, do you want to play a guessing game? I'm sorry to cut you off how much he was paid to come What the number floating around. Is, is this something we can float out here on Monday match analysis, how much he got paid? Yeah. In yeah. We, we can show up. We, wanna, we can float. It is because the look on Mark Ein's face, love you, Mark Ein. Thank you for having me tournament director here. When Rafa lost that second set to Jack sock. And he was <laughs> like, did I just pay a million dollars for Rafa to lose a first round match at the city open? What have I done? And then he ends up like, no one was happier. Rafa won than Mark Ein. I apologize. Carry on. Yeah. I've heard the million number too. Of course, this is not, you know, we have not journalistically verified this, but I know that as well. Multiples. I have, yeah, I, not from Mark Ein's lips, but multiple good sources here on the grounds. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Nadal <laughs> escapes against Jack Sock, third set tie break, um, and then gets into trouble against Lloyd Harris and, and is not able to dig himself out. Like, I feel like the consensus during the sock match was kind of, oh, like socks playing up to Nadal's level. But I think if you take the six sets in total as a whole, it was pretty clear that Nadal was playing down to their level. That that was kind of how I felt. And and yes, there were, there were moments of brilliance, but it, it just seems like Nadal has a long way to go before he's ready to contend at the U.S. Open. He just needs to get better than than where he's at right now or in the shape that he showed up to the city opener. You know, 333, the podcast you do with Amy and Joel is one of the few other shows in tennis I listen to because I think you guys have covered the big three beat. Sincerely, I'm not just blowing smoke up your derriere better than anyone else. You've been on it for months now. And I just think every time you see him play, and if you look at the statistics as well, it's the serve for Rafa. It's 1,000% the serve. And I sent out a tweet, first time I've ever gotten 1,000 likes on a tweet. I started to feel like you, that watching Rafa in person is just the most magnificent uh, experience in tennis, that it's just so captivating. The energy he plays with, the 110% he gives on every point. When he won the Jack Sock match, the fist pump he let out, you would have thought he won the U.S. Open. Not a random first round of a tournament that means nothing to his long-term future. Um, And yet... The serve's a problem. And like Sock did it, Harris did it as well. They found forehands on the return or aggressive positioning on the return whenever they wanted. And he's still Rafa, so he can still play those two players super, super close. But just it's not fun to start every point on your serve from a deficit. And that at least was my view of it here up close to that way on TV as well. Yes, I, I thought the serve was a problem. I also just thought the depth was a problem. Yeah. And uh I, I felt especially with Sock, but with Harris too, you have to make them run and defend, and then they're going to be uncomfortable. And you got to make them hit backhands as well. Um, and I just thought they got too many short forehands. And then, you know, it, it should come to nobody's surprise that if Sock or Lloyd Harris gets a lot of forehands short in the court to look at, that they are going to destroy them with regularity and consistency. Um, now, in terms of the serve, do you think it's more of a, a first serve problem, a second serve problem, or both? 
yes, both. I, okay. I, I agree with you. I just think it's finding the first ball because in return games, when he hits that first forehand cleanly, it's the Rafa of old. It's vintage Rafa. And I think you look at his return statistics, and there aren't too many metrics available. Tennis Abstract has first serve points one, second serve points one on return, as well as their break percentage. And Rafa's still above his career averages in all three of those numbers. And I think I test wise that checks out. I think it's both the first and the second serve. And again, he's below his career average in first serve, in his first serve, uh, in his hold percentage as well. It's just it's a little bit easier to pick where you want to play that first ball in the Rafa rally. And I actually think his backhand has gotten so much better. Like his backhand is a weapon. Now he's able to hit that ball decisively cross court and to hit a decisive back cross court backhand is not easy, but it's, it's both serves. Like I, I, I saw it in both matches. I know it's only two matches, but I think we saw it at the French open as well. I think we saw, mm-hmm. we've seen it all year. The server is just, you used it. I know depth isn't something you usually associate with serves, but it just feels like the serve is sitting short in the box. Yes. It, and, and I think there's been a lot of serves in the net also. I, I yes. feel like uh, it's, I, legs. You know, it's his legs. Yeah. He's 35 yeah. or four, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to let you go. I want to know in, in, you know, let's say a year from now, what's going to be, either the story you tell the most from this week or the memory that's going to stay in your head more than anything from this week. All right. I have one question to throw at you as well. That's an excellent one though. I mean, Oh, it's, <laughs> do you want the ego? I have a couple of different, <laughs> I've got a couple of different ones. There'll be, do I, there'll do be I want, three. do I want the ego from you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I won't say who, but there's a certain, player I am friendly with um, who asked me if I wanted to hit the town with them Friday night. And I said, I would love to hit the town with you on Friday night uh, or it might've been Thursday night. And we ran into, we ran, I, <laughs> we ran into some cool people. And so I, there's some things I can't give away. I'm not are they tennis, to are they, are they tennis, tennis related people? Yes. Okay. There are tennis okay. players who are still in the city and I just, there are things I'm not supposed to say. Let's just say, <laughs> So Benoit pair had a great week. Um, <laughs> we'll start there. The other ones, I mean, getting to ask the fact that when Brooksby was giving one-on-one, in, you know, you request one-on-one interviews, the only one-on-one interview he gave after the crack, uh, finals was to crack rackets. So you can go check that out. Cracked interviews podcast. That will be professionally. The thing that I take away is like, okay, I should be on the level. There's a lot of ping pong played again. That was super fun. But again, number one, a fun person. There's just not, that is what I will tell everyone is I got to see Rafa in person. I can only imagine what he looked like at 25 because 35, oh my goodness, the physicality, how much he cares. Like, I just, I can't emphasize enough. He just cares so much, Gil. It's, I know. it's truly, yeah, it's, it's the most amazing thing. Now, my final question to throw you, I apologize. It was a little longer than I intended. I just, I don't want to get a certain player in trouble. I was going to tell you the full details of who we saw, but I just feel like, you know, you have a big following now, so I don't want to get him in trouble. And he asked me not to tell the story. Um, I realized it like midway through. But anyways, my You'll question have to you, tell me off the air, but OK. Yeah, exactly. 14 American Patreon crack rackets. You can hear the story. 14 Americans at the start of next week are going to be in the top 100 of the ATP rankings. Now, none of them are going to be top 30, but 14 Americans, Gil. My final question to you. Are we back? Like, is American men's tennis back? Between Korda, Nakashima, and Brooksby, 
one of them is going to make, and I'm going to be as modest as I can with my prediction, because I don't, the worst thing you can do is take for granted that, that these guys are going to make these leaps because it's level upon level and upon level. My most modest prediction is one of them is going to be in a slam semifinal uh, before, before they are 28 years old. I mean, that, that is to me being as safe as I can be. The consensus on the grounds, Corda sniffs in the elite group, but as many great prospects as we have, do we have an elite guy right now? Tough to say, and we don't have a sinner, right? We don't have, no. there's no American sinner or American Tsitsipas. And Corda's close. Yeah, exactly. Corda's sniffing. He's definitely sniffing, but outside of that, not ready to say we're back, but we've got some guys in the mix. So it's certainly fun. Yeah, no, I mean, they, again, this this Nakashima Korda Brooksby is the best there's been since I, I would think since Roddick Fish. Oh, see, Blake. again, this this is gonna date me. I was there in 2014, 15 when Ruben, Paul, Fritz, Tiafo were running through the junior rankings, and like they earned some clout. Come on, in the, in the same year, 20 no no in the same year, F Tommy Paul won Junior French Open. Opelka won Junior Wimbledon, Fritz won Junior U.S. Open. If you were a fan, then you can't tell me they didn't have that sort of clout that Brooksby no. Nakashima could have had. Junior results don't, they don't translate always. Uh, like, it's just. <laughs> no, that's fair. But I'm saying, I think that group was held just as highly as these three in that moment. Now, subsequently, they've, they're not. Not by me. And that's why you're better I, at this I, than everyone. <laughs> 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 no, no, t t no, there is Fair. no chance. So, so give me the, all the players again. Now, Tiafo, I got a little too high on. Okay. But, uh, I was I high. Kozlov, there's an Alex Vera, <laughs> Stefan Kozlov, 2014 junior Australian open final on YouTube that I watched five times, like immediately after it happened, like him. So again, it was Tommy Paul won the junior French open. Riley Opelka, unseated. Fritz ended up winning the junior U.S. Open and that same fall won multiple challengers. The next winter, he made that first final in Memphis. So like right out the back came swinging. After Fritz made that final in Memphis, I think the consensus was as high on the next that next gen cohort as the next gen 2.0ers. That would be my argument. Look, I remember when Fritz made the final in Memphis. <laughs> uh, that was the only, I will tell you, the only guy who I ever would have said confidently was going to be a top 10 player was Francis Tiafo. And the rest, I just never felt that way about. But, you know, um, I would say at this present moment that two of Nakashima Fritz Korda will be in the top 10. I'm still holding out Opelka 2026 Wimbledon title. Like, I'm, I, I think Look, so I have multiple wagers on that with people. So I'm in. The weird thing about Opelka is... Like, if you tell me right now, Opelka's going to have the best season of his career when he's 32 years old, I'd be like, yep. yeah, yep. probably. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll let you get to uh, these pressers. Excellent work this week, my friend. And uh, I hope to see you in New York uh, very soon. And then hopefully there's a ping pong table and I can... Tone. Show me the ropes. Yeah, yeah show me yeah, the ropes. No, down you're your never going to tone down the ego, let's be clear. But first of all, let me just say what not just Monday match analysis, not just three, tennis channel, the run of Casper Rood. I didn't know it was the trifecta. What did you call it? It was the uh, the post Wimbledon the, clay hat trick. 
the hat trick that was <laughs> that's why you're you and thank you for having me as always uh no always appreciate coming on mma thank you great shot podcast mini break podcast cracked interviews cracked rackets on youtube check out all of grusky's stuff uh for sure all right my thanks to alex gruskin again um let's run through this national bank open good to have this tournament back after it was a uh, fatality in 2020 um men are in toronto this year and here's what i'm looking for for this tournament i always like to kind of give you something and usually it's about the conditions or something like that and in terms of the conditions i will note that big servers don't do as well here as uh, some of the other hardcore stops and notably roger Federer has been has had a, a way tougher time here than he's had at cincinnati and the opposite would be true for a Nadal, who's won this, I, I think, four times. Um, so it, it's, I think, slower. Uh, it's cooler up there, obviously, in Canada. And uh, it's just not as quick and server-friendly as a lot of the other stops on the uh, the hardcore swing, in my opinion. Similar, pro I guess, to, to the U.S. Open, in a sense, that way. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. But... The players are back in a bubble here, and I think that's a major, major deal uh, because um, obviously the players had to deal with it at the Olympics, but at this point, for the most part, they've had a bit of freedom here, and they've had some crowds from Roland Garros to, to Wimbledon and Queens, um, you know, Eastbourne, if they played in the UK, uh, Majorca. Um, before that, you know, I, I, I guess it, it just, it seems like going back to no crowd is another kind of, oh boy, like this again, going back to bubble environment. It's like this again. And I just, I feel like this is going to be hard for some of these guys, um, to, to go back to this after kind of experiencing the, uh, I guess vaccine covid during you know i guess post post lockdown world you know i i think fair to say that we've been in that for a little while and, and hopefully we don't go back to that at, at ever hopefully not um hopefully this um you know can continue to to not not take a turn for the worst um but the point is here that i'm trying to make is I'm looking for players who might be extra motivated this week because I think I think players are going to struggle. I just do. So players who have really high motors, players who work really hard or, or have a lot to play for or are uh, have extra reason to be very motivated are players that I'm going to favor here. All right, let's start with Daniil Medvedev's quarter. Uh, the top seeds are... If I can pull this up. Uh, Hubert Hercoc, Alex Dimonor, and Yannick Sinner. Um, my dark horse is Jensen Brooksby. He's on an absolute tear. He's feeling really, really good. He fits into my description of a player who's going to give it 100% right now. Uh, now, there could be a fatigue issue, but he's in incredible fitness. He's in amazing shape. And that is kind of the hallmark of his game is consistency, you just heard us talk about it, uh, or, you know, Gruskin and I talk about it, but consistency and fitness are the hallmarks. And uh, I think he's just coming in here with amazing swagger, amazing confidence, 
and I do like some of the players that are in his section of the draw. Um, Jensen Brooksby is is looking at uh, Nicholas Basilashvili, Alex Dimonor, Hubert Hercoc, uh, maybe maybe Kane Nishikori. I, I think Nishikori is going to be tired. Uh, from DC in the Olympics, so I don't really love him this week. Demonor and Hercoc, though, they're, they're players who like pace. Brooksby will not give them that pace. Uh, Basilashvili, you know, he's much more consistent than Basilashvili. He's a very good absorber of pace. So I like Brooksby's draw. He's the dark horse. Upset alert is Yannick Sinner. I'm going to, again, playing playing the fatigue card here, and there was a lot of energy, a lot of crowd in DC. Um, and... Uh, even even in Atlanta, he had he had that. Although he didn't last very long in Atlanta, uh, so upset alert, uh, Yannick Sinner as the most likely seed to go out. I, I mostly kind of like the seeds in this um, in this quarter, though. So you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Yannick Sinner can back up his result. But I do think he could be a little bit tired. Early popcorn, Dan Evans, Alexander Bublik in the first round. Always just two guys who I think are pretty entertaining. Uh, is kind of my only reasoning for that. It would be interesting to see Evans against Medvedev. Evans is the textbook guy who can really bother Daniil with uh, the low backhand slice, going to the net a lot, and um, even has some kind of impressive shot tolerance at times, Dan Evans. So I, I think that could be a tough matchup. On the contrary, if Bublik wins, Medvedev owns Sasha Bublik and that head-to-head. So uh, I think Medvedev will be rooting for the uh, Kazakhstani. Uh, anything else from this quarter? Let me just pull it up again. I do really like some of the unseeded players here. I like Taylor Fritz. Um, I like Dan Evans and what he can do. And Brooksby, as I mentioned, is my dark horse. Nishikori has been in great form. I just think he's going to be tired. So this is a pretty loaded quarter. Uh, for Daniil Medvedev, who I have coming through over Jensen Brooksby, Obviously, this is the part of the year that Medvedev dominated. There's a lot of rankings points to defend. Uh, I think he he is pretty good at expecting a lot for himself, and I think he has a high motor. He is pretty motivated, uh, but but I also I don't think he's a sure bet here either. So I'm not quite sure what to expect out of him right now. He got very frustrated, obviously, at the Olympics. I'm not putting too much stock into the Olympics. These are cooler, more temperate conditions. That's for sure. And I think Medvedev was obviously uh, one of the players who was really, really struggled with the heat and the, and the humidity. And then he played someone in Pablo Carina Busta who wouldn't miss. So Medvedev on hard courts, I'll never really doubt him at this time. I, I just, I'm pretty confident in him. Um, so I'm going to go with him, but I'm interested to see if we get the best of, of what he has to offer mentally. Let's see. It'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, Andre Rublev's quarter top seeds are Denis Shapovalov, Gail Monfils, and Christian Garin. When it comes to motivation and when it comes to even just form and two players who I really loved coming into this tournament before I saw the draw, uh, Andre Rublev and Denis Shapovalov, they were at the top of my list. Two guys who I was very confident income again. So unfortunately they're in the same quarter. I can tell you with with quite with a lot of certainty that if they were in different quarters, there's a high likelihood that I would have them both uh making the semifinal, but I could only choose one. On the contrary, uh Gail Monfils and Christian Garin, two seeds that I don't think we should be expecting very much of at all this week. Um 
My dark horse is Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. He is another a feisty competitor that I believe will do uh, a good amount of damage on on slow, any slower kind of surfaces. Uh, so that includes the U.S. Open. That includes this in Toronto. I don't think it needs to be a clay court for him. Uh, it can be a hard court. I think he he's going to have some good results on hard court, and he's going to battle. If his opponent isn't really a hundred percent, you know, feeling it, I think ADF is going to uh, to bring it. I think um, he can be a little bit erratic, so you know it, it could go the other way on him because he's fiery. But I uh, I like him as the dark horse. He, uh, he draws John Isner, who has not been good in Canada. And I think between, again, the, the bubble conditions, like, I just don't see... You see, I see John as the classic guy of the, the, the player who is really not going to have any interest in going deep here. With his age and how he's managed to schedule this year and the fact that he hasn't really dealt with bubbles because he's mostly stayed in the United States um, by design. I don't see Isner as a as a threat. And then he has Goreen, uh, so a soft spot in the draw, and I think ADF could take advantage there. Um, my upset alert is Goreen. Yeah, I just I never back him on on hard courts. Monfils, I, I hope Monfils can start to pick it up a little bit of a, you know, again I'm kind of waiting on that, but maybe he's going to start to develop some rhythm uh, because the protected rankings right now is the only thing that is keeping him in my top seeds listings for these kinds of tournaments. Early popcorn, Shapovala versus Sebastian Korda. Uh, Korda continues to be uh, a danger as an unseeded player in all of these tournaments. And uh, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see uh, this matchup in round two. I think it's just, you know, two players who can, who can go deep potentially. Uh, but I do have Andre Rublev. I think he, he, um, it's time for him to kind of snap out of it. And he's off the natural surfaces, which should kind of help him. And I do like his, his motivation. He's just a little bit more solid and, and more sturdy than Shapovalov. I know Dennis brings a little bit more pop on his first serve, no doubt about that, um, and a little bit more flair. But I think Rublev can can apply the pressure into Shapo's backhand corner and limit the errors a little bit more. So, I don't know. Uh, I'll take I'll take Rublev in that quarterfinal, and I'll take him to make the semifinal. Moving on to Stefano Tsitsipas's quarter. He's the number three seed. He has top seeds Kaspar Ruud, uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime, and Aslan Karatsev. Again, I, I do think that things will get funky in this tournament. This is a quarter that I've circled as a spot that I think things could get funky. My dark horse is Karen Hatchinov after the silver medal in Tokyo. I know there could be some thought that he could be tired, but honestly, I'm just a big believer in the tennis that Karen Hatchinov is playing. Uh, I, I felt that way in the Olympics, even when he lost um, to Denis Shapovalov. I thought he played an excellent match and had a just a fantastic tournament. And then for him to back that up in Tokyo and to, to go to the gold medal match, I am going to be high on Karen Hatchinov right now until he gives me reason to to not be high on him because he's playing fantastic tennis. He's my dark horse as an unseeded player. My upset alert is Stefano Tsitsipas. I'm not really sure what exactly is going on with him. I think Hugo Umber is a tough matchup 
uh, that he, you know, the player who he lost to in the Olympics. We could get a rematch of that in round two. That is one of my early popcorn picks. But Tsitsipas looks a little bit off mentally. I'm not concerned for the U.S. Open just yet. Uh, but he does seem to be in a bit of a rut, and that can happen to Tsitsipas. I've seen that before in his career. He can go a couple weeks where he's just not quite right. And I don't know if that is happening right now, but I think it might be. Um, and again, he could play Umber in round two, which would be intriguing as a, a little rematch action there. Uh, my other early popcorn match is Karen Hatchinov against Cam Nori. Nori fits my bill, fits my description of a player who really doesn't care if he's in a bubble, if there's a crowd, if, he, if, there's, if there's no crowd. He's really going to bring it. And again, I think that's valuable in a week where I think some some guys will not be very motivated with these difficult bubble conditions after feeling what it's like to not have those conditions. And looking ahead to Cincinnati, it's something I didn't mention at the start. You know, once you lose, you can go to Cincinnati and now you're going to have your freedom back. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm overselling how much this is a factor, but I don't think I am. I think the players are very, are growing very, very tired. And by the way, I'm not criticizing the National Bank Open. They need to do what they need to do to hold their tournament. I'm not criticizing the Canadian government either. Like, do what you got to do. This is how it is. I'm just trying to pick a tennis tournament and telling you how it is. I think there's going to be some dudes checked out this week. That's all. Um, all right, my quarterfinal. I know this might kind of take people by surprise. I have Aslan Karatsev defeating Kaspar Ruud. Uh, Ruud over FAA would kind of be an upset, but that's kind of how I feel uh, or, or what I have. I don't... Uh, this is a slow enough court where I think Kaspar Ruud can survive. He should be confident. He should be playing good tennis, or he is playing good tennis right now, coming off the three titles in a row. He didn't really beat anyone there, but still, uh, winning, winning that many matches in a row, it's going to give you a lot of confidence. Um, and FAA, I think, can really bleed errors, especially when he's trying to handle Rude's ball, which can be can be a lot to deal with and can, you know, you really need to, I think, scale it back a little bit when you're trying to deal with Rude's heavy topspin. So uh, I'd be interested to see what happens in that matchup. And I know that most people would favor Felix, but I'm going to go with Rude there. But ultimately, I do have Aslan Karatsev um, in this quarter, which I believe is the most toss-up quarter, I think, in the entire draw. Every single player in the quarter I could see making the semifinal. From Stefano Tsitsipas to Hugo Umber to Lorenzo Sinego, Karen Hatchinov, Cam Nori, and Aslan Karatsev. I believe those are six players, if I didn't mess up my counting. And all six are names where if you told me they make the semifinal, I'd say, all right, yep, that that checks out. Uh, so this is a very difficult little section. And why am I going Aslan? I'm going Aslan because I just kind of believe he's at some point is going to have that high remember me moment. He's going to have that, yo, like I'm still good kind of moment. Maybe he won't, but remember he went a year you know, Aslan Karatsev's results, I still, I don't feel that they were coincidental. He went a long time with very consistently impressive results, a very long time. And then, to me, they were kind of disrupted by the introduction of the clay court season and then ultimately the grass court season. So he's back on hard court now, and I just think there could be like a welcome back to winning Aslan Karatsev moment eventually here. And why not? Why not this week? So 
That's why I, I went with Aslan Karatsev um, to make the semifinal. All right, we wrap things up with Rafael Nadal's quarter. The top seeds are Diego Schwartzman, according to my slide. Diego Schwartzman again. Uh, Roberto Bautista Agut and Grigor Dimitrov. I can confirm that Schwartzman will only be playing uh, once in this quarter. Um, I really hate this quarter. I think it is really boring. Um, no, no offense to the top seeds at all. It's not their fault. Uh, it's really the fact that I don't, you know, in a Masters 1000 draw, usually there are a lot of really great unseeded players who I think can do a ton of damage. And that's that's because the cutoff is insanely low. Um, what was it here? Will it tell me here? Yeah, last direct acceptance was Benoit Pair at 51 in the world. So we're looking at a tournament with only top 50 players. But in this little quarter here, I, I don't like the unseeded players. And um, I don't particularly love the seeds either. So <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, it's going to make for uh, it's good news for Nadal, who needs to try to get some matches in and play himself into better form. Uh, but if I can just back up what I'm saying here, you know, Benoit Pair, he doesn't want to play in a bubble. Mackenzie McDonald, probably very tired coming off the week that he's come off. Uh, Vashik Pospisil, wild card, not having a good season. Qualifier, not sure who that could be, obviously. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, completely checked out, has no interest in playing right now. Uh, Riley Opelka, very inconsistent at the moment. Again, these are not servers conditions. And then Lloyd Harris, I mean, he he's going to draw Rafael Nadal um, if he comes through the qualifier in the first round. And like, you know, is he going to beat Nadal again? I mean, who who's going to bet on that? So, yeah, I, I just... I don't, I don't love this quarter, so I don't have a dark horse. Uh, my upset alert, I suppose, is Grigor Dimitrov. It's not it's not the draw. It's just that Dimitrov has had trouble winning in general. Uh, so hopefully Dimitrov turns it around, but he is upset alert. Early popcorn. Nadal against Lloyd Harris. Again, I'd love to see that uh, rematch and, and just see how it might play out differently. My quarterfinal is Nadal defeats Roberto Bautista Agut. Again, uh, it's a good draw for Nadal. Everything about it is good. They... Uh, you know, the player that Nadal doesn't want right now, in my opinion, is a player who's really going to hit him off the court and overpower him. Nadal looked a little bit overpowered against both Sock and Harris. And obviously there are levels to it. So if he played a really high-level big hitter, offensive player, I think that could be trouble. But the fact that he has Schwartzman and RBA bodes really well for Nadal making this semifinal. And it bodes well for Nadal just in general because, again, he needs to get his matches in. That brings us to the final weekend. My semifinal picks are Medvedev defeating Andrei Rublev, Nadal defeating Aslan Karatsev, and then Daniil uh, Medvedev coming through Rafael Nadal in the final. I realize now I forgot to put how many sets, I think. Um, I was almost tempted to uh, say that Rublev would beat Medvedev, which is like has never happened before. And on hard courts, it's just been ugly. Ultimately, I didn't have the I didn't have the stones to make that pick. So it'll be Medvedev over Rublev. Uh, I'll say three sets. Let's say Rublev takes a set. And I think if Rublev did take a set in this matchup, that would be progress and a step forward for him. And literally welcome news at this point. Uh, Nadal over Karatsev. I think, uh, you know, Nadal... 
again, Karatsev would would need to handle that moment again, and uh, I I think Nadal could be the more solid player there. Uh, you know, I don't like to delve into these matchups because they're hypotheticals. Uh, Medvedev over Nadal. I still don't think. I will say this. I don't think Nadal is really ready to win this tournament, even though. It's been a very good tournament for him in past. He's the back-to-back defending champion. He won it in 2018 and 19. I just think that there are probably... He probably can't improve fast enough from what we saw in D.C. for him to win this tournament. You know, and uh, I just think that would that would take a, a massive leap for him. I think it might be a little bit overly ambitious. So I'm not really predicting that. I'd, I'd rather bank on Daniil Medvedev, who has to defend these points, who's been so good at these tournaments. It's a slow, hard court. Um, it's Daniil Medvedev. Uh, it's, it's a, I think, good conditions for him, cooler, temperate conditions. I don't feel great about picking Daniil Medvedev to win this week, though. And it's just a gut feeling. I don't have a lot of reasons why. He is my pick. I, I have no other pick. I just don't feel awesome about it. But I think Nadal could win. Rublev could win. Shapovalov could win. And Nadal could win. I, I see those guys. Those are my names kind of as, as the players who I see as most likely. I don't feel great about any of them. But I feel best about Daniil Medvedev. All right. That'll do it uh, for, uh, for Monday Match Analysis this week. Um, quick plug for, for three, a tennis show. Make sure you subscribe to that. That's my other show where I, I, uh, cover with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy exclusive, exclusively Rafael Nadal, uh, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. Hope you enjoyed this one. Don't forget to subscribe and I will see you next time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.